Hi, welcome back to a new episode of For the Love of Weather podcast. This is the podcast where we discuss all things weather and how they can impact our daily lives. We really hope that you leave this episode and every episode that you listen to loving the weather just that little bit more. Hi, I'm meteorologist Gemma. And hi, I'm Ashling, weather presenter and meteorologist. Our guest today is Cathy Morrissey. You're a planning inside director of Stansted Airport, and we have had a little chat just before the podcast started and many, many other things. So I'm trying, going to try and summarise all of that. Previously, you were the director of engineering, but you started your career as an engineer. You diverted over to environment and sustainability and have done many more things since then. But the one thing that you've always been very passionate about is bringing along the um, female side, you know, of what you do, making sure that there's plenty of women and you're passing on that message that girls can do anything as well, because realistically, what you do is a very male dominated role. So hopefully today from chatting to you, we'll find a little bit about why you love what you do, how the weather impacts it. And yeah, how somebody can get into what they're doing if, okay. how, how they, if they want to. Thank you so, for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. So without further ado, we always like to ask our guests the very first question. What was that first moment or that little spark of joy where you thought to yourself, I might just be an engineer? So I thought quite a bit about this recently. Um, and I think it was, uh, it's my biggest influence really was my dad. And he was a physics teacher. Um, he was a bit of a larger than life character. And he had three girls. There was three of us and then a boy. Eventually he got a, he got a boy. Um, and But he he didn't believe there was any barriers to what his girls could do and so there was I had no kind of traditional kind of expectations of what women could do and he expected you know he he just seemed to be a bit kind of like not really uh, conscious that we were girls but he he taught us to play football we play he was a big rugby player we played rugby we played cricket I had Meccano more Meccano and more Lego in my um toy box than I had dolls or anything like that and so but he and he just didn't seem to recognize that there was barriers to women and he was just so proud of what we'd all done he also really coached us in you know he was a big he was a teacher he was a big fan of education and he really believed believed in that and he didn't think there was any difference in terms of the the right of a woman to have education versus a boy um and he he just really believed that that his daughters could you know conquer the world and and I think that kind of belief in in us really set me up that there was no you know I loved my maths um and I'm not sure whether that was a natural thing or whether that was my dad um you know em emphasizing it and doing maths puzzles with us um but I loved my maths and so you know and he really encouraged me so I think you know having somebody who's that kind of like almost blind expectation that nothing can stop you and, and, you know, you could do anything that the boys could do um, kind of just helped me along and the thing that I, that I really liked. And I did love, I love my, I still love puzzles. <laughs> I do my daily Sudoku and, and all that kind of thing. But, um, you know, I just, I just think uh, maths is just one big puzzle. So, you know, and there were lots of tricks to it. And I used to just love nothing more, actually. It's a bit sad. I used to love nothing more than just, he used to bring all the past papers home for my O-levels at the time shows my age and A-levels and I used to love nothing more than just kind of going through all these questions which was a bit nerdy but but yeah I, I just really enjoyed it and so I ended up thinking about I didn't really know what I wanted to do but I knew that I love science and I knew I love my maths so I ended up just plumping for engineering 
and I guess I didn't really want to do physics because my dad had done physics and I didn't just want to do exactly what he'd done so I ended up doing engineering I love that I absolutely love that I didn't get to science until kind of later in life and I wish somebody had been like well you're obviously much better at that than all the other stuff you're trying to do that that's amazing that's absolutely incredible so you didn't want to go into meteorology if you were doing physics and chemistry and maths you'd have been the perfect candidate I guess um, in those days, I don't think that we had the vision that um, uh, people have today. So young people have just a wealth of information at their fingertips in terms of what careers they can do, you know, all the social media, anything that they want to know, they can just search on YouTube or Google or Facebook or whatever. And I just don't think that we had that breadth of knowledge of what careers were available at the time. And, you know, to find out different careers, you had to go and speak to the careers teacher who was a teacher and therefore had had a teaching career and not not anything else. Or I remember plowing through this book, this hard copy book of the different types of jobs you could do, which was a fairly boring thing to do. So it wasn't really brought to life. So I think you know, there was much more of a focus on traditional subjects and not really much exposure to what else could do. So in another life, meteorology might have been a good thing. Well, there's still this life. You can always <laughs> come and join us. So <laughs> you've made it all the way to Insight Director for Stansted Airport. I mean, has there been any barriers along the way or have you just not seen any or felt any? So I think, um, I think, yes, there, there's lots of little things, I would say. There's lots of little things that happen along the way that you end up or I've ended up just kind of plowing through and almost ignoring that and kind of getting on despite that. So, you know, there is this kind of like um, level of gravitas you have as a woman. I think now I'm more senior. That isn't quite the case, but certainly when I was more junior. So, for example, I would kind of go to a meeting and I would take one of my team with me who happened to be male. They reported to me. And we'd be meeting a contractor or something. And I would be kind of the one going up saying, right, I am Kathy. This is my colleague. This is uh, my colleague here. And I would ask questions. And the the other contractor would just look the other, look the guy in the eye, would never look me in the eye and direct the answer to the, to the male in the room, even though I'm the one asking the questions, even though I'm the boss. So, you know, I find that that, I think more recently, um, it's more obvious because there's a lot more awareness of that. But I certainly think that still happens, you know, on a construction site, I've got young women uh, in the organization um, who are part of the women's network and, you know, they've experienced things like that. And then there's the kind of banter that goes around and, you know, uh, we have a big thing at the moment about raising awareness about microaggressions. I don't know if you've um, heard of those, but they're just those little niggles, you know, that constantly undermine you and, and, you know, it, if it's just one thing, can't you take a joke? We were just messing with you. Um, but it's those kind of like constant little little niggles that generally is really saying, actually, you don't belong here. You're a woman, you don't belong here. So, and I've kind of over the years just really ignored that and kind of plowed on. And in some ways, looking back, I wish I'd perhaps been more challenging towards it because, you know, it didn't help just plowing through, probably didn't help women coming through behind me so I have a bit of a passion around raising awareness around that so we're kind of we've done quite a lot of work as part of the women's network about that kind of microaggression and uh, we've done it alongside the race we have a, a race and ethnicity group 
and we have a mental health group. So we work very collaboratively with some of the other um, what we call colleague resource groups at the at, in, in the company, just raising awareness because people just don't know they're doing it. And it is just a laugh and, you know, and and it's just general general banter, but it can really undermine people and make them feel like they don't belong. So so I think I've I experienced a lot of a lot of that. And then there's there is that kind of expectation around they don't expect you to be a manager. So, you know, sometimes they'll say, well, you better ask your boss about that. And I'm thinking, well, excuse me, I'm a boss. <laughs> so, you know, and that 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 kind of stuff um, you get. And so it's like they all the automatic assumption that you are not kind of the boss or not in charge is is kind of the things that you you face but I think things have changed a lot certainly at Stansted and I you know I love working at Stansted with such a it's it's a very collaborative environment so when I joined Stansted 15 years ago the only head of department was the who was female was the HR director or HR head of HR now when I got to be head of department it was 50 50 so that had really changed. But the next bit was to kind of get into the director cohort. So um, there was myself and another woman who both got a job in the director's team at the same time. And that really kind of upped the kind of level of women. There's still more men than women at that level, but it's kind of the, the level of seniority is going up. So that is a when I think back, that's a huge change to sit in a room where it's 50-50 at head of department level. Um you know, is, 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 I think is, is, is great. The company is aiming for 50, 50, right up to the top. Hmm. It's really interesting. Actually, when I uh, started, I did my first uh, aviation training, you know, I was on an airfield, but I was one of the batch of first uh, like uh, years that there was more females than males that had gone gone through the course and actually I was yep. there on the day in the Falklands when it was the first all-female team wow and that is not that long ago it's really no. it's really really crazy but yeah. it is good to see that things are changing I have a really interesting perhaps <laughs> just curious question for you because it's something I've struggled with so I've done a lot of different jobs I've actually done some surveying as well outside so it's cold gets really really yeah. cold and it can be really uncomfortable for different reasons for women out and about and there's nothing you can do about it that's that's just the way it is um have you noticed much of a change in the clothing because when you're working outdoors everything's all like massively sized but there's nothing actually yeah. designed really for women with women in mind no you know like even even your boots yes just <laughs> uncomfortable so so if I think back to when I was like 22, 23, and I started off as an engineer, I was working on an oil, on the oil rigs in the North Sea, um, in the oil industry. And um, I just was looking, look, I had like, you know, your, the full kind of boiler suit, these rigger boots, a hat that was far too big for me that came right down here and these massive kind of safety glasses. And I was just like, you know, I guess I got used to kind of rolling the sleeves up and the legs up and I'm just stomping around in these, you know, I used to take like three pairs of socks to put these boots on. That was the smallest they could find. Absolute smallest. So, I mean, I don't know how, you know, if I was, my safety was affected by having ill-fitting clothes, but but that was just, I because I was generally the only technical woman at the time, this is in the 1990s, I just kind of accepted it and got on with it and thought, oh, I'm a bit of an oddity here. I'll just 
but there were some small blokes on the riggers as well and they they had very baggy clothes too so it wasn't just me um but i think that's one area actually that hasn't changed enough i think there is still i still have a kind of um high-vis jacket at work that's too big for me and you know it's there's not really that much distinction between the male and female in the in the PPE sizes. I did actually go out and buy my own safety shoes at one point because they had some ladies' safety shoes, but they just look ridiculous. So um, so yeah, so I think I think, yeah, I have done my stomping around in great big boots and boiler suits and looking ridiculous, but you know. I'm glad to hear they're doing something about sizing. It's just it's ridiculous. It's always like triple XL of stuff lying around. Yeah. And like, why why is that? Why is that yeah. happening? Tell us a little bit more about the time on the rig. So first of all, you would have been the only woman. How did you manage with the weather? Um, well, I, I worked in the North Sea. Um, so I guess, yeah, we're talking about talking about the weather. So there was various aspects of that. You used to have to go out on the helicopters. Um and that was an experience in itself because you all had to have survival training and wear these kind of like full body scoots because it was after Piper Alpha had been like, I don't know, 10 years or eight years before that. And so the kind of all of the safety procedures and, and all of the kind of kit that you had to wear had kind of moved on a lot. So you had to wear these really tight kind of body suits, like survival suits. You had to wear those in the helicopter and you would fly out to the rig. Generally speaking, you'd, you'd it would be fine. I have been um, to, I was out to a rig once when, um, because the, the rigs, some of the exploration rigs actually float and they're connected via kind of what they call a riser to the seabed. And the rig kind of floats up and down around this with the kind of waves and whatever. And actually I was in a helicopter when it was moving too much and they couldn't land. And so they kind of come in and the thing's moving up and down and go up and then come in again. And then we ended up that time we ended up just flying back. So you kind of think, oh yeah, I've got another, I've got another light um night on dry land. So I have to but you have to go back in the morning. But the other thing about the North Sea is that you could have times when it was literally like a mirror. The sea was so beautiful and so completely flat, you couldn't even see ripples on it. And you could see, and it was it was absolutely beautiful. And then you have days when you've got the waves crashing and the rig is going backwards, up and down, backwards and forwards. Um, we had one time I was doing a, a bit of work and because uh, you were outside doing the work, what we used to do actually was um, once they drilled a well, we used to do kind of telemetry. So we used to put these tools, like long, thin tools down the hole on the end of a, a cable. And we used to kind of gather data of what kind of um, whether they had what kind of rock they had, whether it was, whether they had any fluid, if it was water, if it was gas, if it was oil, generally not very much, to be honest, when you're exploring. <laughs> it's more nothing than than striking oil. Um, so, you know, I can remember being out there and, and it was absolutely howling gale and the ice, the snow and the ice was forming on the derrick of the rig and then forming into great big snowballs. And we was like getting someone throwing snowballs at you got to the point when we were all told strike everyone's got to stop go inside because it was getting a bit kind of hazardous so so yeah the weather was um weather could be it could be as i say like a mirror just brutal and brutal or brutal yeah the worst thing is when you're on the rig and you want to get home and the helicopter can't land that's not nice <laughs> 
I was just thinking just, that when you said the helicopter didn't land, I was like, I bet you there was a few people that were like, yeah. off, off this, oh, off yes. this rig. Oh, yes. Yeah. Just listening to you talk as well, I was thinking, oh, I'm feeling a little bit seasick just listening to you talk <laughs> about what was going on with the weather there. Yeah. It's not like a ship, though. You don't really feel like there's a little bit of movement, but you don't really feel like you're on a ship kind of swaying around. And then some of the bigger rigs are platforms. And so they're solid. They're, they've got feet that sit on the bottom of the sea. So they, they're solid. It's obviously fond memories, though, because you I can see by the way yeah. you're talking about it, that it was actually, whilst it was a unique time in your life, you obviously It was an enjoyed. adventure, and I wanted yeah. an adventure. That's what I wanted when I was 21, 22. And, and you were the only female? Generally, I think there was a couple of times there was another female, generally like a, um, a geologist yeah. um, would be there because they would do, you know, work alongside us, and they would do quite a bit of the interpretation of some of the um, information that we would gather. Um, but there would often be women who would be cleaning or would be in the kitchens. So some of these rigs have huge kind of catering facilities. So there'd very often be a few women in there, but they would always kind of be quite self-contained. So, um, but it was nice. It was actually nice to see females who, whatever they were doing. <laughs> so Ash and I are really passionate about getting women involved in weather and climate as much as we can. Um, and I'd like to ask you, what are some of the barriers that you think that there are trying to get into STEM subjects and jobs in the first place before they've even maybe sort of made a decision that they want to do that like what barriers do you think there are I think you've got to get them young and I think it's about expectations and I think I had you know somebody my dad who 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 loved science and just kind of bred that that love of science and that belief that I could do I could do it there was no reason why I couldn't do that and so I think there's that kind of expectation so it's overcoming those expectations of of uh, women and girls um, I think also there's quite a bit of peer pressure um, in for young girls around you know what what would they want to be and and sometimes I think um, being good at science is kind of a bit unusual so if you're the kind of person who wants to be in the in the core gang then it might not which I certainly wasn't um, it, that might not be the, the thing that you want to do um, and I think the other big thing and I have been thinking about that this um, in before you know knowing I was coming on this podcast is I think it's role models as well and I really think it's having women who are in the media or go out to schools and talk about you know what it's like to be a woman how you know there really isn't any barriers to and particularly for kind of engineering I say you know engineering is not being a car mechanic necessarily it could be you're not kind of getting your hands really dirty all the time you could be designing stuff you could be project managing stuff is all problem solving doing performance improvement all of these different things that are not what you typically say was kind of a, an engineer with kind of overalls and things like that I mean I loved kind of something around in my overalls but you know that's that is not totally what what engineering there's lots of different types of of engineering and and science and you know so I think having those kind of role models and seeing people do that either going people like me going out and speaking to to groups of girls or schools or um, and I think it's important to speak to the boys as well and it's important for the boys to see a female engineer and a female leader you know talking about those kind of technical things and so they have that belief in that so I think those role models but I think there's not enough kind of made of female scientists in the in the press and in the you know we've got some great like Carol Kirkwood I know Dave was talking about her on your last podcast and you know, there are some females out there who really stand out, but, but it, you know, 
it, there's not really that kind of female Brian Cox, if you like. Um, and I really think that that would, you know, make it cool and make it, you know, because there's a lot of girls who love maths and and somehow we lose, I think we lose a lot of the girls who really love the kind of science. And I don't, you know, I haven't quite found the panacea. I think that's the frustrating thing. And you just keep plug, I just keep plugging away. And I, I ask, you know, having conversations like this and I ask, um, I ask girls, you know, or, or other people, what do you, you know, what is it? What can we do to get more girls to stay with their kind of their science? And is it is it kind of it because it's it's cool or is it because they get teased, you know? And um, I did a bit of a listening session. We have a, a college on the airport, which is part of Harlow College. We built uh, this kind of educate higher education college on the airport, which we're really proud of. And I, I, I've been over there and kind of chatted to the girls and they do teach engineering over there and they said you know even at that age there is a bit of banter and the boys are kind of saying oh you know you, your place is at home why are you here and all that's so in you know supposedly in jest that is happening in teenagers you know and I was a bit shocked because I thought that happened to me but but that was like 30 years ago so there is still that kind of you know the girls have are still an unusual thing and they have to hold their own and they have to kind of be resilient to these kind of comments that are made and I think educating boys as well as girls around around that equality is so so important and for boys to see women who are leaders women who are decision makers and women who are scientists uh, you know that they need they should see that and I think that's that's what we should be kind of really focusing on it's really you know we've hit on some really I mean, just really interesting points. Myself and Gemma are nodding along crazy with you here, like mm. listening to what you're saying about visibility being seen. We both do this podcast because we love the weather and we want mm. somebody else to find it and know that they, you know, they could do that as well. And we both love talking at schools and that, but they're just nodding at so many things where it's like, how is it 20, 24 now? Mm. And we're still looking at Instagram posts of people trying to, fix how they look and like there's this other pressure mm. of and it's again but it's just visibility in a different way so yeah you know the, the, being clever is still not cool you know in ways for as far along as we have come it's still there's yeah it can be hard to shine sometimes at what you're good at I think when you're a female because there's just so many other things going on in the world and it does come from home so if you're listening to something at home not everybody's listening to like you know um you know a figure who's like saying ah, just go ahead and do that then you know yeah exactly. there's so many other barriers I'm, I'm really interested in your college yeah was that your idea no no so that was so we, we have a department that that looks at um education um skills and employment so you know it's important that um we have a future pipeline of of employees at the airport there are 12,000 people who work at the airport, about 2,000 of them work for actually Stansted Airport or Manchester Airport Group who run the airport. But there's also, um, uh, you know, people who work in this pilots, there's the ground staff, there's the retail, there's all kinds of, it's like a small town if you think about the airport campus. And so, you know, we employ or, or businesses on the airport employ over 12,000 people. So um, we have um, a big challenge over the next I guess 10, 10, 15 years, because the the type of skills that we will need are changing because we are becoming much more automated, much more digitally focused. Um, and so we're going to need more of those skills uh, we know. 
we also really major on customer service. You know, that is kind of one of our big mantras around when you come to the airport, you should have, you know, this shouldn't be kind of a, a necessary evil. We want you to have a good time coming through the airport. It's the start of your holiday. You don't get stressed. You go into, because airports can be really stressful places. You go through into the departure lounge and ideally you have a nice meal or you shop and or whatever it is. And then you head off on your on your holiday. So we know we're going to have in the future um, a big demand for, for skills and, and resources at the airport. And so investing in, you know, education and skills is great for, for us. And we're, you know, we're really proud of, of the college. We do it in partnership with Harlow College. And so, you know, I think it's about investing in skills and, and young people uh, for the good of the kind of airport community and, and generating those skills that we're go- we know we're going to need. I think what you've touched on something really important then about the sort of overcoming some of the barriers through the the college that you have about educating people that way. But is there another way that we can overcome some of the barriers that are in place for for, for girls that are trying to get into to STEM? Like, is there other things that we could be doing? Yeah, again, I kind of thought thought through this. I think um, I think it is about kind of communication, making science fun about having role models, but I think that there are role models out there, right? So there are lots of women throughout history, and I read about them all the time, who have been scientists and very successful and and leaders and, and been a real driving force. And they just over the years have not had the credit for it. So, you know, I, I like to kind of read a lot about kind of women who who've really made a difference because they've often been looked over. Look at what happened with Marie Curie. She got her awards very, very late and posthumously, but, you know, her husband took the credit. They assumed that he was the driving force behind of all of that, which is just, just terrible. So there's a lot of women who haven't had that credit. And I think probably it would be, you know, I'm, I, 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 I'm trying to kind of dig out nice stories of, of women who've, who've really made a difference. And, and I think that it's just that kind of, you know, the role models existed years ago. They just never got that kind of kudos or credit for it. Um, I feel like that that's something that that we could do better at. But I think it's, you know, it is it is just that kind of like, you know, having really enthusiastic role models, teachers, you know, people that you could aspire to um, and just making it seem like it's normal to have women in in the decision making process it's normal to have women in the in the teams and i think we're getting there slowly in this country unfortunately there are countries where that's not happening at all but we are getting there slowly in this country and some professions do better than others so you know things like uh, doctors and and lawyers are i think all, you know women are probably make do make more, up more than 50% of the population but those kind of science subjects are lagging behind um, and it just it just needs to look like it's it's a normal thing that you would go into science and you would have women in a science workplace or. Yeah, I think role models is a really important thing about making it visible within the community, but also, mm. like you say, in the media. I think there are some that do that really well. There's not mm. enough of them. You're Correct. right. There isn't enough of them. Um but like I was on social media the other day and I think Dr. Hannah Fry is amazing at making maths and science really mm. interesting and mm. making it really relatable to different audiences and to our everyday life. So there are some, but there is just not enough. We enough. need to have more in the media, but we also need to, as you say, recognise mm. people that have done it in the past and made the discoveries and 
let people know about these people that are so amazing they're such amazing women and we should all know their names yeah. and also I- just about their backgrounds as well because it's the most you know what appears to be something which is the most ordinary makes mm. the most extraordinary yeah know, I-, I think things happen a really big thing for me as well probably I should have mentioned this earlier is about this is not for us to solve on our own right this is men's problem as well as women's problem and I think that you know we have to educate boys we have to um you know keep up kind of awareness raising with with men um you know some of my greatest mentors have been men and actually you know we have this thing called allyship uh, at at mag and you know we encourage men to to kind of you know support women and we provide you know tidbits of how you could support like for example that example example that i gave around you know somebody speaking to my male colleague actually they could say well actually she asked you the question why don't you answer her you know there are things that a male could say to kind of you know make sure that you're included in the conversation or that something like that is called out sometimes it's easier for the male to call that out than it would be for um the woman or myself to kind of you know say something so i think that really really kind of we're in it together with with the guys this is not women versus men or you know or some kind of um kind of crazy kind of you know historic version of feminism this is not what this is this is this is us working together for a more equal world and actually it benefits everybody because, you know, diversity in decision making is proven to end up in better results, in better decisions. They maybe take longer to get there because you've got more points of view, but they actually end up as being a better, better results in the mm-hmm. end. And there are lots of examples of where you bring someone who thinks differently into into a situation and they just come up with a very unique take on things. And so, you know, it's a benefit for business. Businesses do better when they have gender equality on the boards. So it's just it just makes good sense in society. Why wouldn't you have uh, 50% of the population being represented um, in a decision-making process? So, you know, for me, I'm a scientist. This is completely and utterly logical to me. I just can't see how, how it could be, how it should be any different. So I think we need to do this with men because this is up to men as well. You know, we're in this together and we need to draw, we need to, you know, ask for help. We need to support each other and we need to really, you know, this is not us against them, us against the world, us against men. This is, this is something we need to work on together. You're here to that. I love that. Just before we move on, I do have one more question for you. Is there anything memorable that's happened in any of your jobs where you thought to yourself, oh yeah, no, I'm definitely, I'm definitely doing the right thing. You knew you're doing what you loved. Um, quite a lot of things, really. Do you know what? What I really love is having a seeing my team come together and succeed. So things that I've really loved is when somebody's been working, a group of my team has been working on a project, and they come to the end of the project. It's been successful or whatever, and we can, you know, and or, or they do some kind of development program and they succeed in that, or somebody who's come up through the ranks and gets a promotion I all you know I've kind of a bit cheesy really I think um, I used to kind of send like um, emails out saying this person has done brilliantly and and so that makes me really kind of kind of happy when you know you've kind of nurtured somebody and they're successful yeah I was a bit of a mother hen when I had my engineer (laughs) my engineers Um, but the other thing is I like nothing more than putting my kind of PPE on and going out and and seeing uh, seeing stuff and and um I know I spoke earlier about kind of I used to manage environmental 
pollution and stuff for the airport. And I used to like nothing more than going out and, and looking at, you know, going down to the ponds, um, going down and looking at drainage systems, going and looking. So, you know, I'm a big kind of, I like that kind of being involved in the practical side of things. So if someone comes to me with a problem, I'll often say, well, come on, let's go and see. Let's show me what it is. Because I like to be able to picture it. And there's nothing more that I like than kind of in general, just kind of stomping around and seeing what's going on in, in reality and 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 getting getting stuck in really and asking lots of questions. I think that's the other thing, you know, just be curious all the time and make it your business to find stuff out. So I think that's done me very well in my career is you know I haven't always kind of done the thing that I'm completely qualified for but I've made it my business to go and find stuff out. Before we move on to the get to know me round I was just interested I was just wondering if there is someone listening to this podcast I hope there are loads of people listening to this podcast but if there's someone listening to this podcast um, that is has is either a parent or they're a teacher or they're thinking about getting into science-based career do you know if there's any resources for them to access to find out more information or anything that they could go to well there's lots of you know a lot of the kind of associations will have women in leadership or um so there's you know if i think about there's um women in aerospace and and aviation there's women in transport so there's lots of kind of groups so if there was a particular career that someone wanted to go down then there are there are loads of resources out there a lot of these um organizations will offer mentoring programs so you could sign up to be mentored by a woman um or or a man you know just get some get some mentoring so i would you know if you wanted to get particularly into transport there are organizations that will support young women and offer mentoring schemes um and and you know sometimes they will offer kind of development programs and they will have you know a lot of resources on there if there was a particular thing um, you know, if you really want to go down the pure engineering route, there's the IET. They have like a, a kind of women's women in engineering section, but there's loads of information on that as well. There's just so much stuff compared to when, when I was kind of thinking about what I wanted to do, really. And the other thing that I would do is call someone up. You know, if you've got a friend or a relative who who works in engineering or works in science, just see if you can go and, and have a look and and see what they do and what's great with our education centre is we get schools and teachers to come to the airport and we talk, talk to them about aviation. We talk to them about all the different jobs you could do at an airport. And we also have a viewing platform where they can go up and watch the planes take off and land. So, so yeah, so I think just, you know, being a little bit proactive and, and going, going and have a look and seeing if the school could do a trip to a business and, and, or, or something like that and, and find out more. So I think, you know, teachers can be can be really proactive in that front. Schools can be. I mean, a lot of the schools around where we are very proactive. They want to come to see us all the time. They love it. I suppose as well that ways things like STEM ambassadors come in as well, where you yeah. can get those those people to go into schools and yeah. talk about their careers or how they yeah. got into the subject that they're mm-hmm. into as well. That's a really important thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think it's important that younger women do that. So it's all very well for me to go in, but. You know, my children are in their twenties. I'm, you know, probably not as, um, you know, I'm not in with the kind of local, the the new kind of, you know, way of talking, or you know, I'm not kind of the the trendy young person that's got into to the engineering job. I think it would be great to see young women who are at the start of their careers supporting other women coming through and other girls coming through because it's a bit more relatable. I try my best, but I think it's important to have 
the, the both generations because actually through this podcast 100%. I've been listening listening to your experiences and you've had experiences that we have not experienced because we haven't faced those challenges and I think it's really important to have both of those generations yeah. going and talking to people because I've left this podcast feeling very motivated and very inspired oh, and I've really right. enjoyed listening to you talk about right. everything so yeah I think what you're doing Thank is amazing you. and I think people need to hear you as well don't underestimate as well I think the power of seeing a working mother and I mm -hmm. think it's really important that um, you know, if you are a, a caregiver to somebody as a female, I think you really need to tell people and champion that because it's hard, but it's mm. totally doable. Yep. And like for it's... some people that might really feel like a big barrier. It did for me for a time. You know, oh my God, how am I going to, mm. how am I going to do this? So I, yeah, I am inclined to agree with Tema here. I just think, and you know what, it, it was other, it was always other you know, female caregivers that pulled me through and yep. taught me the most things and helped me overcome all of the, mm -hmm. yeah, the family side of things can be yep. really challenging. I mean, that is a challenge, you know, and there yep. is just a mere fact that we are the ones that actually have a child, which I love people afterwards call it your year off. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Right. <laughs> but, you know, just to see like that, actually you can, you can do all of these things. You really can. Yeah. So yeah. I'm, I'm with Gem on this one. I think here, here to that, I think it's absolutely fantastic um, to see every single, you know, aspect yeah. of it. So we're going to move on to our get to know me round now. Okay. Um, and some of them are weather related, but a lot of them, as we go through, you'll realize they're just really random questions that we okay. just like to throw at people and see what we what answers we can okay. uh, we can we can get okay. so our first question is always what is your favorite season I like spring because it's too cold at the moment today's minus five when I set off for work this morning um I think spring is just everything comes comes back to life it feels like a huge relief you know the flowers start coming out and it's just starts to become beautiful again and also you have a quite a few bank holidays in spring which is great actually <laughs> so yeah and it's not sometimes it's too too hot I do a fair bit of running which is my kind of release valve and in the winter it's been cold although I have been out in the summer it could be too hot so spring is often just right Gemma it's I'm true. just the... pointing out spring because spring is mine Gemma's is autumn so yeah, yeah for me do you know what? I'm swaying more towards spring nowadays, but I do I do really like autumn. But I was yeah. just thinking, she was saying about the running. I was thinking, I find layering in winter for running so tricky to get right. Like, yes. do I need to put another jumper on? Am I going to be okay? Yes. Will I be too cold if I don't put this extra yes. layer on? And then you start running and you're like, oh my gosh, I've layered yes. too much now. What do I do? It's I, like a minefield. My general rule is less than 10 degrees long sleeve. And then you should always think that you're when you start running um you're going to be cold and you should assume that that you are going to end up feeling 10 degrees more than it actually is so it's a good tip at five yeah. degrees you should assume that it feels like running in 15 degrees once you get going yeah we like that's good yeah i like that if you had to choose between the beach or the mountains what would you choose the mountains i love it so i love my skiing um i climbed kilimanjaro last last year which was just amazing actually <laughs> just throw that in there by the way yeah. I climbed Kilimanjaro yeah. yeah that was great um so it's my big adventure for kind of kids gone to university and turning 50 and um then Covid happened so it kind of got delayed and delayed but we're still determined to do it so my husband and I we went with a 
with an with an organization guided kind of camping up all the way at Kilimanjaro. So it was pretty brutal, actually. Talk about weather. <laughs> it was pretty brutal up there. So, and also uh, it's really hard to breathe. It's impossible to breathe. My God. Yeah. So it's there is 60% less oxygen mm, up remarkable. there. So nothing lives up there. You're not supposed to be there. Mm, I know. <laughs> How long did it take you? We did five days up, two days down. So, okay. yeah. But yeah. You, you do a bit of acclimatization and you kind of go up there They and then you camp, go up and then camp and then go up. And um, and it's all a bit of an adventure. So It sounds absolutely but, epic. I love yeah. hiking, so... I mean, yeah, I'm not at the stage where I can do Kilimanjaro, but yeah. <laughs> if you were a fruit or vegetable, what would you be? I have no idea. Um, a mango? I just love that people come up with an answer. Everyone has an answer. I don't know why, why they said that. Why? I don't think anyone's ever said mango before. I love mango. It's quite um, exotic in some ways. I mean, yeah. when you get a mango from where a mango is from, it is better than chocolate. It is. It really is, mm. you know, and, and it's very wholesome. Actually, if you have mango juice, it feels like it's not just a drink. It's kind of um, so, yeah, I think I don't know. Or coconut. I love coconut as well. I have coconut yogurt because uh, I don't I don't eat kind of milk or dairy. It kind of doesn't agree with me. So I have a lot of coconut kind of products and, and I love coconut. And, you know, when you get a proper coconut and you can drink the coconut water out of it, that's just amazing. I just love that you came up with an answer, though. That's what I love the most. People actually identify themselves with the fruit. I mean, it's phenomenal because everyone actually has an idea of what fruit they're like. It's really it just popped into my head. Yeah. I didn't really and kind it, of... it just shows you how like everyone is so different because yeah. you have very rarely had this, a person say a similar fruit or vegetable to someone yeah. else. Like most people say a different one mm. um and eventually we're gonna be like are there any more that we could say but like no one's ever said mango um if you could have a superpower what would it be gosh i don't know um i think i i often say i just want to click my fingers and solve a problem in, in fast motion so i don't like kind of faffing around and and deliberating over a problem if I've got a problem I'd like to kind of like I want to solve it but often these things take a lot of time so I'd love to be able to kind of click my fingers and fast forward through and just solve a problem that's making everyone miserable or is making everyone's life really difficult so yeah just to to kind of fix stuff snap my fingers and and it's done rather than having you know often you have to kind of I don't know buy stuff or or kind of make sure everyone's involved and and sometimes people don't want to do it that way. And, and I know that's all very, very, very important. But sometimes I think it'd be nice to just fix something. Yeah, a bit of time traveling here and there wouldn't be a bad thing. Yeah. They are both really, really good. Um, good superpowers there. I always find as well that um, the other day, it's like, do you know it's really late at night and you just want to be in bed? But you have to go through the palaver of like getting, brushing your teeth and washing your, your face and oh getting God, ready. I'm just like, oh, I wish I could just click my fingers and just literally yeah, just be, be in bed, bed and be asleep. Yeah. So it's all the other steps. This yeah. is the honest truth. At the end of my night shifts, but not, as I've stopped doing nights now for work, I've stopped doing nights. At the end of my night shifts, I genuinely used to feel like if I had one wish right now, it would be to magic myself into bed. Like mm -hmm. the idea of traveling home through London. Oh yeah. my God. Yeah. Just. We've got two more questions. So okay. if you could invite 
one person to dinner. It can be anybody at all from any historical time frame or even a fictional character. Who would it be? So I feel like I should say a woman. So I'd love to have the Pankhursts, actually. And I'd love to kind of understand, you know, I'd like to know what they think of the world now. You know, after all that effort and and all of that pain in getting us the vote, you know, what do they think of how far we've come? Did they expect like in, I don't know, 200 years that we would have come much further than this? Or, you know, not 200 years, 100 years, 150 years, we would have come much further than this. What do they think of how we're doing now? Um, you know, and I think they'd be pretty looking around the world. There would be some things that are very upsetting because I don't, you know, we wouldn't have had quite so much world knowledge in those days. It was very much focused on what was happening here. But yeah, what would happen? Am I allowed to say someone else as well? You can say <laughs> yeah. whoever you want. I mean, the, some yeah. like people from the suffragette era would be the movement would be absolutely amazing. I'd love to yeah. talk to people from that. But yeah, who else yeah. would you like to invite? You can have a load of people if you okay. want. Okay, okay. So um, I recently read a book by the book by Billie Jean King, the tennis player. I don't know if you've read that book. Um, she's also done an um, interview uh, on the BBC as well. She has been amazing for women. Oh, my God. So, you know, when I uh, first was aware of her, she was kind of a little bit before my time. So I used to watch kind of Martina Labratilova and she was a bit earlier than that. And she was always quite bad tempered on court and quite serious and kind of, you know, grouchy and stuff. And I used to think, oh, who is who's that woman? But when you read about what she's done for women, she set up the women's tour. She fought to get equal pay. She was really instrumental in getting equal pay or equal award money prize money for women as for men she kind of set up the the women's tour and got them proved that people wanted to come and see women play tennis and and she was so inclusive and she still works you know she's 80 I think and she's still amazing she still works for kind of equality and and she's just been such a massive force in kind of you know tennis is that was the first sport that had that had equal prize money at the big competitions for men and women and that was, you know, a lot of that was her driving force. And and I just think she's just so, she's, you know, she's had her ups and downs. She's had her, you know, things that have gone wrong or, you know, things that maybe, you know, people don't agree with. But, you know, she has done, really done a lot for women, women's sport and, and equality and has just, you know, been brilliant. I would recommend reading the book. It's not, it's not one of those autobiographies that's very kind of self-serving. It's very kind of, you know, it's a really engaging read and she's not kind of trying to show off and, and all of that, but it's really engaging. It's how she kind of set up the women's tour and how she kind of fought for women in sport. So, And our final question that we like to ask people, we always mix this up a little bit. Um, as we've been going through the Get to Know Me Man, I've been thinking, what, what aspect can we take with it? But I think, what is one thing that you wish everybody knew about females in STEM? I just... I just think it's that appreciation of women's capabilities and that women can do stuff, but they can do it differently. You know, they might take a different approach, but the level of of kind of intelligence that we have in the women, female population, we're missing out big time because we're not harnessing that kind of intelligence and, and nurturing it. So, so I think just that kind of recognition, um, the other thing, actually, I was going to say earlier, you don't have to be a bloke to be a female engineer. So I know that, you know, when I was coming through the ranks, I used to think, oh, I need to be kind of blokish to do this. And I say to the female engineers in the in the 
technician team at Sensors, you don't have to be a bloke to do this. You can wear nail varnish. You wear safety gloves over the top, so that's fine. You can wear, you know, don't feel that you can't put your makeup on coming to work because you're an engineer because you don't, you know, this whole idea that you need to be blokey to be an engineer or, or be in science is we need to get over that as well because women can be women, but they can still do that job and they can still use their brains. So, yeah. Yeah, we need to break down those stereotypes that are in place. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, just um, just be what you want to be as well. Mm. However you want to present yourself, do that. Kathy, thank you so much for thank speaking you. to us. That time's gone really quickly. Thank you. It goes so me. fast. You should honestly, we we worked we worked very hard to try and keep this under an hour. We're <laughs> yeah. Awful for keeping things going. When we first started, oh my god, we'd have a two-hour podcast. <laughs> but you know, really, what we want is people to just have you know just hear enough to think, okay, maybe I can do that. You know. And yeah, so I think we definitely great. got that tonight. And yeah, no, just it's been an absolute pleasure to no, talk to you. Great. It's been really, really pleasure to talk to you. And we hope you've enjoyed it too. Yeah, I have. I've really enjoyed it, actually. If you have enjoyed this episode and would like to subscribe, rate and review the podcast, oh, that would be amazing. It helps other people find our podcast. And our mission is to share our love of the weather. So the more people that can experience our podcast and listen to it we can share our message and our love with more more people in terms of the weather um if you would like to follow us on instagram we are for the love of weather on uh, on x i've stumbled there because it's x formerly twitter i had to put that in there we are the number four love of weather and kathy if anyone's listened to this podcast and they want to reach out to you and maybe they've got a question they want to ask you where could they get in contact with you i'd say through linkedin if they if you've got that kind of question um, just just do it through there because that's really my main social presence I'm afraid I'm not trendy enough to have a TikTok account or or um, an Instagram account I, I'm afraid so LinkedIn but, is such an amazing place to meet so it many is I was going to say it's done to do a trend yeah. yeah and reach out to them it's an amazing place so definitely go onto LinkedIn reach out to Kathy go through maybe you can find some other people that work in STEM mm. that you can reach out to as well I'm sure everyone will be very happy to talk to you and give mm. you some advice if you need anything and as always we just hope that you leave this episode loving the weather just that little bit more thanks for listening bye-bye